the reason that Christmas trees mean something is because the mercy tree means something. I'm so thankful for the trees of the gospel and how they point us forever and always to the mercy tree and what Christ did for us there. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. So much already in our hearts and minds of what God is doing. I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our children, ages K-4 through 6th grade, to Kids Point Worship. Miss Heather's ready to take you on down with her team of volunteers. Week 2 of Kids Point Worship is here, and everybody's still alive, and we're so thankful for that. I know the kids are looking forward to that. Once they're out, if you'll close those back doors there, guys, that would help me out. Thank you so much. Well, we're going to start a Christmas series this morning entitled, Christmas Isn't Canceled. Can I get an amen? Amen. Too much has been canceled already, and uh, these are difficult times. I, I understand um, we are trying our best here as a church family to navigate this with you. Um, we know that uh, already this year we faced a lot of changes, a lot of schedule changes, a lot of just different things. and. Trying to navigate that the best, to keep a balance. We want people to be safe. We want folks to stay as healthy as possible. But at the same time, uh, life goes on. And, um, you know, you can, you can live so much in fear that you cease living. And so there's, a, there's a, a good reason for caution and for wisdom. But at the same time, we want to keep trusting the Lord and ask Him to um, continue to lead us forward. And so this series, uh, we, we, we figured we'd take a break from the Gospel of Mark. We'll get done. I, I promise you we will. Uh, my goal is to be done by Easter. And so uh, we'll be back in the Gospel of Mark in a few weeks. But we wanted to take a break and just uh, celebrate the season and, and uh, talk about Christmas. And many different passages, of course, come to mind with that. Several uh, familiar passages. If you take your worship guide, you can go ahead and open that and follow along uh, uh, not, not a huge area to take notes today, but that's okay. You should be able to capture what the Spirit would lay on your heart to remember. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but despite my best efforts at efficiency many times, I find that a lot of my time is spent in life waiting. How many of you are not big waiters? You don't like to wait on things to happen. Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah, you're a lot like me then. We have something in common. I'm not a big waiter. My family can tell you that. I don't do well with waiting, right, family? I mean, hey, if we're going to go do something, let's go do it. We don't need to waste a lot of time. And uh, some years, and certainly we can say this about this year, it seems like we spend almost all 365 days waiting in this waiting game. I mean, right now we're in this holding pattern, waiting for life to get back to normal after COVID. Are you ready to wait some more? <laughs> it could be a while. I'm thankful, though, that we don't have to wait 700 years. Um, you know, the nation of Israel, we're going to study Isaiah chapter 9 here this morning, and a very familiar passage, of course. In fact, Nathan, great job reading this this morning, Isaiah 9, 6. In fact, the boys and girls are studying this verse, so I guess the Lord wants us all to focus in on Isaiah 9. And what's interesting about this Isaiah 9 passage, Isaiah 9, verses uh, 2 through 7, and, and the title of the message today is simply, The Light That Brings Hope Isn't Canceled. Christmas isn't canceled. We're going to talk about several things over the next few weeks that cannot be canceled. And one of them is hope. And specifically, the light of the gospel that brings hope. It's impossible for it to be canceled. No matter what we face in this life that we're dealing with, that we're struggling through, I'm thankful that Christmas is here to remind us that hope cannot be canceled. Amen? 
It can't be. And I hope that today your heart is stirred in the truth of what we're about to read because we're going to start our series this morning by looking at a passage that contains a promise that took 700 years to come to pass. And technically, only part of it came to pass, and there's still more yet to come to pass in this passage we're reading. Because, just to state this at the beginning, Isaiah 9 is technically not primarily a Christmas passage. Did you know that? It's actually a millennial prophecy of King Jesus ruling and reigning. However, we do see partial, partially it is talking about his first arrival, but it's also talking about his second arrival. And if, and if he came the first time, you know what? We've got another holiday to look forward to. We've got a new holiday on the horizon, a holiday that we'll never get over. And all these holidays that we celebrate every year between now and then are just whispers and rehearsals for the great holiday that awaits us. I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful that we have this hope in our hearts today. And so we're looking here at, 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 a, at a passage that was also, Isaiah 9 was a passage that was written in the midst of difficult circumstances. The nation of Israel, where we read this, had not gone into captivity yet, but they were dealing with several issues of surrounding nations. They were dealing with a wicked king named King Ahaz, and Isaiah was ministering during this rule of this king, and they were facing hardships and difficult circumstances circumstances around us, and Isaiah gives this glimmer of hope to the nation. Of course, they would then have to wait 700 years, but he gives this promise nonetheless, and we see that what he was saying is so powerful to our hearts. You know, the Christmas season is full of lights. I like Christmas for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because of all the lights. How many of you have lights up at your house? I saw Phil Watkins post his picture. Good job, Phil. You got all the list done that Joyce wanted you to do, right? Right? Got that done. Beautiful lights. And in Christmas, we associate with lights because um, it really comes at a dark season of the year. Uh, the days are darker. We, the, it gets dark real early in, in the afternoon. And, um, and so we're dealing with a season that already gets dark at this time of year earlier. And, and, and so lights are symbolic. And, and what we see in this passage today is that the light of the world has entered into the darkness. Christmas isn't canceled and the light of Christmas is not canceled. The light that brings hope is not canceled. And we see today that Christ is that light. He is the one that brings hope. He changes the world and he changes us. And so the passage that we're looking at today is a fairly famous, familiar passage quoted at Christmas. However, it's not primarily focused on Christmas alone, but on that next holiday to come. So let's read this passage together. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden. Hallelujah. And the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise. And garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And, and can we just stop in reading this? And can you put there above that comma, for unto us a child is born 2,000 years? 
Because in that verse, we see the first part's been, for, been fulfilled. Unto us a child is born. He was born in a manger. Unfortunately, he was offered as the son, as the son of God to the nation of Israel. But what happened? He came into his own, and his own received him not. But one day he'll return again, and they will shall look on him whom they have pierced. And then they shall receive him as the son of God. So for unto us a child is born, fulfilled in Christmas. Unto us a son is given, yet to be fulfilled in the great return of our Savior and King. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Are you thankful for that phrase, and the government shall be upon his shoulder? He's going to take care of all the flawed and failed governments of this world. Amen? I'm so thankful for that. Because if you look around, you can't place your hope in the government. It'll fail you. You can't place your hope in anything else in this life except who Jesus is. And his name shall be called. Here's the name of this great light. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I want you to see three thoughts this morning as we look at this passage and break it down about this light that brings hope that isn't canceled. First of all, I want you to see the darkness into which this light was shown forth. The darkness we see there back in verse 2. Notice what it says. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. So we start here because without understanding the darkness... You cannot appreciate the light which pierces that darkness. And it says here, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. In the Hebrew there, that phrase, have seen a great light, it's the idea not of a slow sunrise, but of a sudden flash of lightning. I love the picture of the Hebrew here and how it helps us to understand how this all of a sudden flashed Onto the, court, onto the scene of human history. And so we see that Isaiah actually, this isn't the first time that he's used this metaphor of light in his book that he's writing. In fact, all the way back in chapter 2, we see Isaiah giving this invitation to walk in the light. Look at Isaiah 2 verse 5. He says, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah gave the nation this invitation to walk in the light of the Lord. But unfortunately, Isaiah faces the same problem we face today in our world. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. He says over in Isaiah 5 verse 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Does that sound familiar? We see that in our culture today. We see this darkness in our day that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This describes the world today. It described it then in Isaiah's time, but don't you see that the Bible, even though it was written thousands of years ago, still speaks to the issues of the human heart today? We still deal with darkness and brokenness and pain and so we see that it describes the world even today. And so we have a world that's flipped on its head, calling evil good and calling good evil. And so Isaiah gave forth the invitation to come and walk in the light 
of the world. But they chose to refuse that. And even worse, they started calling evil good and good evil. They were calling the darkness light. We were created to walk in the light with God. But humanity as a whole is walking in darkness, calling evil good and good evil. Darkness. You know, I thought about darkness. And isn't it true that it's in the darkness is where you stumble and fall? I don't know about you, but this time of year, in all of the rooms of our house, there's extra stuff on the floor. How many of you would raise your hand and say, yes, pastor, there's extra stuff in my house right now because of Christmas. Decorating boxes are out. Things are put out of place. Right now, we've got a big extra TV in our bedroom. And, and uh, the last couple of uh, uh, nights here uh, this week, if I didn't go in there and turn on the light, I mean, of course, I know my room pretty good, even when the lights are out. But how many of you have ever been blessed by walking through your room at night with the lights off because you assume that you know where the path of clarity is and all of a sudden you stub your big toe and you start singing hallelujah in multiple octaves? Yeah, there's pain there, right? And so it's in the darkness that we stumble. It's in the darkness that we find pain. And so we find ourselves stumbling around in the darkness. So at best of times, we're stumbling in the darkness, but at worst of times, isn't it true that darkness is where evil is exploited, that evil is done. Many times we see mankind exploiting the darkness to hide their deeds of evil. So we see what happens in the darkness. We, we stumble in the darkness. And then many times we see darkness being exploited to its advantage to work evil. And so we see this darkness, the this darkness is the explanation for why your family and friends are not as you would ultimately like them to be. And it's not why you know you are who you ought to be. Um, uh, this is why suffering exists. This is why sin still exists. This is why injustice runs through every corner of the world. This is why poverty is still a real issue because of the darkness of this world. Even though there's more than enough food, more than enough wealth to go around, we see this darkness. We see this darkness clearly seen in people's evil actions. Darkness. I can mention different towns and immediately you think of the darkness. Columbine, Littleton, Colorado, Sandy Hook, um, uh, Orlando, Las Vegas. And you think of these cities now, New York. You think of these cities now and you think of the tragedy that happened there. Darkness. We see the darkness of evil. We see the darkness of just the fallenness of uh, sickness and suffering and death and pain. We see it all around with, with viruses that all of a sudden come on the scene and take people's lives. We see it in, in cancer. 1,500 cancer cases diagnosed daily in America every day. The darkness of natural evil, the darkness of man's own ignorance. We see how, how mankind in itself is, is dark in the sense that they can't understand the world in which they live. We constantly seek for peace, and yet we seem to never find it. If we're not at war with another nation overseas, we're at war within our own nation. And the division and the pain runs deep. And so we see this issue of darkness. Isaiah described it here. And we see how he really describes a lot of what we see in our own day today. Now, how did the people respond to that darkness? How did the nation of Israel respond to the darkness around them? Look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 19 and 22. Look at verse 19. And when they shall say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and that mutter, 
Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead? Isaiah says here, what did the people do in response to the darkness? They just doubled down into their darkness. They, they sought wizards and necromancers and they knew they didn't want death. They knew that they were trying to avoid death, but they went deeper into the darkness. Look at verse 22. And they shall look unto the earth and behold trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. What does that phrase, they shall look unto the earth, mean? It means that they're looking to themselves to fix their problems. They're looking to humanity to fix the world's problems. That's what Isaiah's getting at here. And do you notice that if you go back and read chapter 8, you'll notice that when he says that they look to the earth to fix the darkness, that just plunges them deeper into that darkness. We know that to be the case. We've seen that. The more we think that government has the answers for what ails us, the more we realize, no, they don't. The more we look... And this is what happens. We put our faith in intellect, more science, and more technology. In fact, Tim Keller quotes on this whole passage, and, and he says that, yes, they say we are in darkness, but we can overcome it ourselves. People make the same claim today. Some look more to the state, some more to the marketplace, and everyone looks to technology. You know, we think technology is going to fix everything. Yet they share the identical assumption. Things are dark but somehow, we believe we can end that darkness with intellect and innovation. But can we? Can we? If we look at technology, you know what technology has done in many cases? I mean, yeah, there's benefits to it. But it's actually only put a larger magnifying glass on the darkness that is around us. And so if people still walk in darkness... And this darkness is not one that we can defeat on our own. And so that's the first prerequisite to understanding Christmas. That's the first thing. We have to understand the darkness. Because without truly understanding the darkness, we don't appreciate or even see the light. We're focused on our own selves to bring about this hope. We are unable to defeat the evil and bring about the peace and justice in our own lives and in our own world. And yet we still walk in darkness. And so Christianity is a message, the, the Christmas message, first of all, says that we're in the darkness, but praise God that the message doesn't stop there. It doesn't leave us in the darkness. It doesn't leave us without hope. Hope cannot be canceled. The light that brings hope, it's impossible to cancel it. Because right away we see in the same sentence, notice Isaiah says, the people that walked in darkness, verse 2, have seen a great light. Now, compare that with what we read back in chapter 2 when he says, come ye walk in the light. He says here, they've seen a great light. Meaning they didn't earn their way into gaining this light. No, the light was shown upon them. It flashed onto the course of human history. They've seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shone burst forth and shined. You know what Christmas announces to us? It announces that our hope for light and life is not found in our ability to walk in the light. Because clearly Israel hadn't been doing that. Clearly we see our own world not doing that today. 
what we see here in this passage is Christmas doesn't say that if you can walk in the light, then you'll be in the light. No, Christmas says because you couldn't, you didn't. And it says that God will invade your darkness and shine his light and he will bring the light and life that we need. Look at verse 7. He says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And notice at the end of this, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I love that because it's saying this was God's passion. This was God's pursuit to say, let there be light and to bring about a new creation in the last Adam, Jesus Christ. A child who would be born. A son who would be given. And so what a Christmas announces really is this. It announces that though you and I walk in darkness, our hope is not found in us. It's found in God's ability to invade your darkness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because I was in the darkness stumbling about without hope and the light of the glorious gospel shined in to my life. What does it look like as this light begins to shine? Isaiah describes this in verses 3 through 5. He says, Upon them has the light shined. Verse 3, Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is confused with noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Some beautiful poetic language here. Isaiah is actually hearkening back to their history as well when he references Midian. Do you remember the story of Gideon and the battle that he had with the Midianite army? And how it was very obvious that Gideon could not overcome this darkness, this enemy on his own. In fact, he had too many people to begin with. And God started whittling down his army until he got to the point where God was trying to teach him a lesson in us as well that it's not by might nor by power but it's by the spirit of God that the light shines that the victory is won and so Isaiah paints a picture here of military battle military vi victory um, in fact, in this passage, he, he, he references to this idea that there's going to be no more burdens, no more blows, no more tyrants. Um, he paints this beautiful picture of what it looks like as the light begins to shine. If you look at verse 7, he says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I love this. What he's saying is, he's not just saying it'll get better and better. He's saying it will get better and better every day. It will be better than before. It's going to increase, 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 increase. Notice that. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It grows. It gets better and better. Perhaps this is why C.S. Lewis ends his Chronicles of Narnia series. How many of you are fans of the Chronicles of Narnia? You're familiar with C.S. Lewis? In his last book, if you've never read it, read it. It's the last battle. Time of the last battle. And he talks about how these children, the children, the, the main characters, have, have gone through all these things in Narnia, all through the series. And they finally go into Aslan's country. 
And we know that Aslan's country, if, if you study the metaphors that Lewis is using, Aslan's country pictures us walking into the kingdom of God. And notice what Lewis says at the end of this story. He says, we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And you know what Christmas is a glimpse of? It's a glimpse every year of that reality. Because he has come the first time, he will return the second time. It will give break, it'll break into a new holiday that will never end. This is the promise of the gospel, that the joy that we now have in Jesus, oh, it's wonderful. But friends, it's just a faint glimmer of what will be when we shall see him as he is. The light has come. However, we could say that the light is not yet in full force. It certainly flashed upon it. For those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we've seen the light. He is altogether lovely. He is beautiful. He has captured our gaze. He is, he is locked in our attention. Our eyes are to him. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But we still deal in the valleys. We still deal in these days of darkness around us. But one day when Jesus comes back, the light will shine in its full strength. It will never go out. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Increase, 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 increase. I don't know about you, but I look forward to Christmas every year. I look forward to it. We count down the days, 12 days to Christmas. My kids love it. But I'm counting down the days. I don't know how many days it is. But I'm counting down the days to this new holiday. This new moment when Jesus comes back. I mean, that's why we go through these weeks of Advent. We're reminding ourselves that, yes, he came just as he prophesied the first time. And get ready. He's returning again just as he has promised. And so joy, hope, it will abound as we see our Savior face to face. This is our blessed hope. And so Isaiah unfolds all of this in these verses for us so that we could say this. We could say that Christmas is the beginning of the end of sin. Christmas is the beginning of the end of death. Christmas is the beginning of the end of suffering and injustice and ignorance. All that is dark in this world has its days numbered because the light has shone into this world. That's the light. Now, what does that light look like? Isaiah focuses in on verse 6, and he shows us what this light looks like. And what we see is that it's not a what, actually. It's a who. It's a person. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, 
the Prince of Peace. How will this light flash upon us? Isaiah says a child brings it. You notice that he says a child is born and a son is given. The child was born and then the son was offered to the nation of Israel to receive. And notice that he says here, you shall call his name Mighty God. That's one of the titles. So you see why for thousands and thousands of years, Christians believe, have believed that Jesus is both God and man. We have passages like this that point both to his humanity and his deity. A child is born and a son is given. What is he saying? Well, he's talking about a human being. Humans are born. And then he talks about a son being offered, a son being given. This child is going to become a king. He's also mighty God. He's not just a representative of God. He is very God of very God. He's fully God and he's fully man. He enters into human history as the light of the world. Just as he told his disciples, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, John 8 verse 12 says. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I believe what Jesus was saying there in John 8, 12 was clearly referencing back to these verses in Isaiah, saying, I'm that light. I'm that light that the prophets spoke of. In fact, we know that he would read from Isaiah 61 when he would go into his very hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he would read Isaiah 61, verses 1 through the first part of verse 3. And he would say, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. What are the names here? What are the titles that are given to this person, to Jesus? He's called Wonderful Counselor. You know, what is a counselor? It's somebody you look to for advice. You ever talked to a counselor before? I know I have. All of us need counseling at some point in our life. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. It's good to have counsel for decisions and direction in your life. And so you need counselors to help direct you, to help shine light in the dark areas of your life where you might stumble if you didn't have that. And notice that it says here, Jesus is the wonderful counselor who comes to shine in the light of our darkness, shine in our darkness so that we no longer have to stumble in the dark and we're no longer tempted to exploit others in the darkness. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And what we really need and why he's wonderful, I talked with our singles this morning about this. You know why he's a wonderful counselor? Because he has experienced what we've experienced. How many of us have ever been to a counselor and we have a certain life situation and we go in and they've not experienced the situation you're dealing with? For example, um, uh, there are times when I'm called, called on to counsel someone going through a divorce. But because I've never been in a divorce, it's hard for me to understand exactly. I mean, I can give them truth from Scripture, but... On some level, empathetically, I can't understand what they're going through. Same way with cancer. I've not had cancer. Oh, I can seek to try to offer words of comfort and understanding and help to someone who's dealing with cancer, but I've not been through it. I've not lost a child, so it's hard for me to know how to give count. I've not lost a parent yet, so it's hard for me. So, so some, on some level, human counselors are going to always be incomplete. But Jesus is the wonderful counselor. There's nothing that you and I could ever go through that Jesus has not experienced. What do I mean? On the cross, Jesus lost his father when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus knows what it's like to lose a parent. God the Father knows what it's like to lose a son because on the cross, his son was made sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. 
Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned. When he was betrayed by one of his friends, and then the rest of his friends ran away and denied him. Even one of his closest friends denied that he knew him. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned and betrayed. There's nothing you could go through that Jesus doesn't come to you and say, I can wonderfully counsel you. He knows. And in his word, he shines the light of where we should walk and where we will no longer stumble. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's called mighty God here because he is God, yet he's born. So he's 100% man and 100% God. He's the light come. The first Christmas, I'll remind you, wasn't the beginning of Jesus. It was simply the beginning of his human ministry on this earth. And at that point when he was born, he forever fused his divinity that he already had as the eternal son of God with humanity so that now, forever and always within the Trinity, humanity dwells in Christ, the Godhead bodily. Wow. So as he is, so shall we be when we see him, that we will be made like unto him, being called the sons and daughters of God. He's mighty God. You know what that means? That no matter what we face in life, he is able, he's capable. Even when it seems 700 years behind schedule, he's still faithful. He's still working. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. What does that mean? What do good fathers do for their children? They provide for them. They protect them from all harm, even at great cost to themselves. So when Jesus is called Everlasting Father, it's not this confusion between God the Father and God the Son and the Godhead. That's not what Isaiah, I believe, is trying to paint, paint a picture of here. He's calling him Father, Everlasting Father, because a good father protects and provides, even dies for his children and for their good. And then it says he's Prince of Peace. He's come to bring the peace that we long for socially, Politically, individually, personally, Jesus is that Prince of Peace. And listen, the world will never know peace until they receive the Prince of Peace. All of these names speak to the infinite character of who he is and so many more. But notice this. Notice that Isaiah says, Jesus has been given for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He is given as the gift of Christmas. Oh, the gift. And as any gift, it needs to be received. Has to be received. God doesn't force a gift upon us. He offers gifts to us to be received. And so as you come then to the end of the Bible, as you start here in Isaiah, you think about what Christ did in his birth, but you think about that great return when he comes back as our ruling king. You come all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. And it says, The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. 
Amen? He's the light. Jesus is bright enough to illuminate any darkness you and I face in this life. What darkness are you walking through right now? Jesus has been given to you to pierce that darkness. The light is what brings hope. And it cannot be canceled. And his light is so bright, folks, you ain't going to need that big ball in the sky anymore. Wow. He is the ultimate light that has no comparison. And so this child that we celebrate every year, this child that was born, he grew into a, into a man. He lived a fully human life so that he could be that perfect representative, as the Bible calls him, the last Adam. And this light of the world, in order to shine light in your life and our world, had to enter into utter darkness. This is the culmination, because what we see is is that this light was given to us, but that light had to enter into utter black-of-night darkness. What do I mean? The only way that Jesus could truly illuminate our darkness and the darkness of this world is by experiencing the darkness of the cross. So when we read in the Gospels that when he was crucified, it turned dark for the space of three hours... What we see is our light of the world entering into the darkness so that we would never have to walk in darkness again. Jesus endured the utter darkness so that you and I could have the light. And when you see that, when you really see that, you'll receive him as a gift. You'll entrust yourself to him because you realize he is the light in the darkness around us. And so we follow the light. Lights are there for leading. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light into my path. He is the word. And we'll trust what he's done for us. We'll stop putting our ultimate hope in innovation, technology, government, riches, good health. We'll stop putting our trust in all these inferior lights that we look to for hope. And we'll put our trust in the light of the world. The one who one day won't even need that big ball in the sky to light the world. And so I want to challenge us this morning. Stop putting our hope to rid the world of darkness and more technology or more of anything that you can do. And I challenge all of us to put our hope in Jesus Christ. Because he is going to return and he is going to shine such glory when he returns that all the darkness is going to flee and run away and not come back. Every sad thing will become untrue when he wipes away all tears from our eyes at the end of the millennium, when he wipes away all tears from our eyes and there will be no more pain, death, sorrow, or suffering. Then, the words of that famous hymn that we opened our worship service this morning with, will come true. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found. 
I'm going to ask our media team to bring back up the Mercy Tree song and go to the verse where it says, Hope went dark that violent day. Because we're going to sing from there on to the end. We're going to sing the Mercy Tree as we close our worship service this morning. This is what the light has come to do. His blessings will flow as far as the curse is found, and it will cast out the darkness. My friends, we must trust him. Trust him even in the silent years when he doesn't seem to be working in the ways that you expect or anticipate or desire. He's still at work for those 700 years that the nation had to wait for this to occur. God was setting the stage of human history through Alexander the Great and other nations and kingdoms. He was putting it all in place so that when we mentioned a few weeks ago, when he rode in on that donkey, it was to the day from Daniel's prophecy. A child has been born. Every year we celebrate his birth. But between that comma and unto us a son is given is at least 2,000 years. We're still waiting for the son to be fully received. We've received him as the son, but the nation of Israel has not. But one day he soon will return and they'll receive the light. And so let's trust him. Let's follow him as our light. And oh, let us tell others about that light this season. Father, oh, so much to think about today in this passage of scripture. We can't appreciate the light. We don't understand why we need the light till we first admit that we're walking in darkness. And the more we look to ourselves, the, the more we look to the earth to try to get ourselves out of that darkness, the further we go into it. So Father, help us to see Perhaps there's people watching today or in this room today who are in the midst of that darkness. They're enveloped in the darkness. Help them to see their own futility of trying to get out of that darkness without you as their Savior, without you as the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Lord, if there's anybody here today that has never trusted you as their Savior, I pray that today they would receive the light of the world into their life. That they would see what you did for them on that mercy tree. That you were willing to go into that utter, utter darkness to embrace that darkness of our sin so that we could have the light. And that light brings hope. And that hope cannot be canceled. It doesn't matter what darkness we're facing in this momentary life. It far pales in comparison with the exceeding eternal weight of glory which shall be revealed. And oh, how we look forward to that new Christmas, that new holiday, when in your second advent you return. And so as we experience joy and happiness here in 12 days, as we unwrap gifts under a tree, May we not forget that you were placed on that tree as the eternal gift so that one day we could experience an eternal holiday with you and experience that joy that always fades after every Christmas day. We can experience that joy for all of eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet, church family, as we sing, as we close in worship. Hope went dark that violent day. The whole earthquake that loves display. Praise God for the light of the world.